Hey everybody, this is the Yield Coach Show, Season 1, Episode 4. Alright, as you know, with this show, we, every episode, bring you dynamic entrepreneurs, real estate investors, business leaders, inspirational guests, ready to open up, share their story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so you can learn lessons, gain advantages, and accelerate your own success. I am floored to have Eric Bumgardner join me today. I'm your host, Ian Brown. I left that out. And uh, Eric, I'm going to give you a short bio. He's going to tell you a little bit more about himself. But Eric is a veteran of the U.S. Air Force, 10 years in the commercial real estate business, uh, focusing on industrial properties. He is a CCIM. He is the Senior Director of Colliers International in Northeast Florida. He is also leading a team of other agents. He's closed over 600 transactions. He's transacted over $400 million in commercial real estate value. And he has transacted and closed deals in over seven states. With that, couldn't be more excited to introduce Eric Bumgardner. Thank you. All right, Eric, we're going to jump into just a little bit of your background. Uh, if you could tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to be here on the show today. All right. Well, thanks for having me, Ian. Um, I don't even know where to start, but like uh, Ian, uh, like you said, I've been in the business about 10 years. Um, uh, just kind of never had an intention growing up, never uh, realized I wanted to be a commercial real estate broker, knew nothing about it. And it's, uh, it's weird looking back when I was younger, I didn't even look at commercial buildings and just have no understanding of where, how they came to be. And I think that's how a lot of the population is. And uh, but uh, right out of high school, I joined the Air Force. I uh, never had intentions of going to college growing up. I was a troubled youth, and so I was, needed to find something to do to keep myself out of trouble. Joined the Air Force right out of high school. I did electronic warfare, worked on the C-130s and HH-60 helicopters. Went to Pakistan, met my ex-wife. When I got back, got out after my term, and then... Uh, Worked in a couple industries in, in uh, low voltage industry with home building and uh, kind of worked my way up through that where I ended up being in, in sales because as a service technician I was upselling the, the customers more than, than the uh, original salesperson just because I knew the product and wasn't even trying to sell anything to them. Recession hits, no more homes being built and uh, so uh, nobody's buying any upgrades lost my job, lost my house, lost my wife. It's like, crap, what do I do now? So being in the Air Force, I had the GI Bill. So at 29, I went to uh, University of North Florida to focus on, uh, figure out what to do with myself. Took a time out, uh, waited tables at night, went to school, got my bachelor's in three and a half years. And towards the end of my uh, uh Last year or two, I took a couple electives, commercial real estate, and was like, man, that seems pretty cool. It's uh, just seemed interesting. I mean, a very difficult job, and that's kind of what attracted me was it was just high barriers to entry, and it was at that point I had pretty much nothing to lose. I already hit the hit the bottom, so there was only one direction to go was up. And there was a advertisement my senior year, uh, local real estate company accepting applications and went and interviewed and I was like yeah this is so that's kind of where I started 
I started with the local company and, and just knowing nothing, naive. I knew it was not going to make any money for quite a while. Um, at that time, I I'd, I'd just had a kid with, who was probably about a year old. Her, her mom and I weren't together. I was working my butt off. She thought I was a fool for getting in that business because I wasn't going to make any money. And and uh, just, yeah, just kind of grinded my way up. And now it's uh, kind of all ancient history, but... Well, um, you know, one thing that that strikes me about you is, you know, we've had some guests on in the past, like we had we had Pocky previously, and I think of like passion. I think of, you know, we had Lauren Wyckoff on. She she was building communities, and like her whole thing is like how people interact with one another and in, in, in creating environments. With you, I have a couple like words that just jump out, but it's just one of the main ones I think of is focus. You're very focused and intentional. And I wonder, you know, were you, were you always like that? I mean, you're the kind of guy that can map out a daily, a weekly, a monthly, a one, three, five, ten year vision. And none of us can totally control where that goes, but you are way better than the average professional at marching through a vision flow chart. Have you always been like that or did you kind of pick that up in the military? Was it self-taught? I, I think it's very admirable. I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I, it, I'm sure to some degree, my younger years maybe, but I mean, to going in this business, I knew, you know, by that time I was, uh, when I got in, I was about 30, 31. And, and, uh, so had quite a bit of life experience and just knew if there's any shot in hell to, to make it in this, you know, you had to dedicate every second of your time. And I wasn't, didn't come from silver spoon family where my dad owned a brokerage house and yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't luck out on the that. usual ways into commercial. Yeah, so that, you know, there's only one way and it was this sacrifice. And I just knew I had to dedicate every second of my time learning the industry. I mean, I just obsessed over it. I mean, I was literally, uh, all I did was read, read, study, you know, drive the market, try to understand it. And you hope everything you're doing is going to actually pay off and you're like you're going through all these exercises that you, you know you read about in the training and just uh and you're like, hey, and i sure hope this pays off i mean i was first couple of years were tough i was living in a tiny tiny little apartment and eating ramen and really had nothing else to do because i didn't have any money so just <laughs> Keeps the distractions low when there's no budget to go out yeah, and exactly. socialize or take, yeah, the, take girls on fancy yeah, dates. Yeah, kind of go on dating, really, and, <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, it was easy. Yeah, it's funny. I remember, so um, just for the audience context, I've known Eric for, uh, for quite a while, the better part of 10 years, and, um, and so I've been fortunate enough to watch his path. His journey has been really extreme. I mean, his ramp up in industrial brokerages, I, I talk about it to to people in the industry all the time. He's, he literally just told you he came out of the Air Force, GI Bill, he's going to school at University of North Florida, comes into an elective commercial real estate course, it kind of lights him on fire, and really once he, once he sunk his teeth into that and he decided that's where he's gonna go, he never turned back. He's, he's, he's a top producer at the top brokerage house in, in Northeast Florida. So um, his concentration is in, in industrial properties, and we'll we'll jump into that asset class in a minute. But one thing you said that was kind of funny is, you know, growing up, you'd see these commercial buildings, and you know, you're like, you never think somebody's transacting or brokering. You're like, who owns them? You know, mm -hmm. like I re I remember as a kid, you know, walking into big, you know, twenty story office buildings. 
I, I just assumed they were like owned by the city or like some some corporate oh, some I faceless know. corporation. Yeah. I, I would have never thought, you know, um, as I got older, you know, I'm uh, I ended up appraising hotels, brokering hotels, meeting the individuals that own the hotels. When you're young, you just think of like selling real estate as you, you just sell a house, mm-hmm. you know, and um, to be able to do it on such a large scale uh, takes a lot more training, financial analysis, your soft skills need to be pretty well honed because, you know, in your world, these investors, you, you're not going to be fooling them. You, you, you show them an accurate picture and they, they can decide on their own. If it's if it's investable or not, it's not like residential where necessarily someone's going to stumble into a property and buy it strictly on passion. They're mm-hmm. going to buy your warehouses or, or strips on you know cash flow and IRR, or maybe they're an owner user. So um, you know, backing up just a little bit, your military service. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Was there anything from that you know as you jump from Air Force to GI University of North Florida into commercial brokerage? Were there any like lessons or takeaways from your military service that you've imparted, or is it just just constant self improvement? Yeah, no, there's definitely uh, the military service uh, kind of the things you learn and instill, brainwash you into, and you know it's part of the program. And, and just I think creating those high ethical and moral standards is you know kind of the, the foundation. And one of the big things that separates the Air Force is from the other branches is their attention to detail and the, the reason being is when you're working on multi-million or billion dollar aircraft there's no there's no margin for error so i mean i remember in boot camp we had a uh, folded t-shirts and i think it was like four or six inch perfect square and it had to look like a pack of swiss cheese you had to and we'd have we'd be out there in with tweezers pulling i mean it, it had to be absolutely perfect I and mean, wow. it was i mean it looked like a pack of swiss cheese or something and uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess perfection and just attention to detail is, uh, you know, there's no, with investors, there's no room for error. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that, that's one, one principle that I know is carried with me and it might even drive my wife nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, so much detail. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. <laughs> there's only one way of doing it, the right way. Right. Exactly. And, and you know, just on, being honest, I mean, you're not going to get very far in this world. You might get far for short term, but not long term. Mm-hmm. There's one thing that I noticed, like with, with you and a couple of my other friends that have done military service. And there's, I'm going to paraphrase, but the notion of like embrace the suck. And what, you know, what I mean by that is like, you're not naive to the fact that things will be difficult. You're not naive to the fact that it may be a long, difficult period, but Embrace it. Mm-hmm. Embrace the pain. Jump in the pain cave. Embrace the suck. You know, and these are some terms I've heard from guys that had military service. I actually hear it used sometimes in like, like CrossFit type communities. Not that I am in CrossFit, <laughs> but um, you know, I think the notion of like it's going to be difficult. Suck it up. Run through it and just brace for it. I think that this show is you know a lot of the audience investors. Maybe they're entrepreneurs in real estate. Maybe they're not in real estate. But I think most of the people that have broken through and are starting to have success. They understand there's not quick money. You might have quick money, say take a 10-year period. You might have got quick money in, in year three. There might have been a quick money moment in year six, maybe one in nine and ten. But you had to prep and be ready to go the 10 years. If somebody just watches that one capital event, I'm sure, I'm sure Eric has left many a closing table. You walk out of the law firm's office and everybody's thinking, well, look at that check that guy just walked away with. And yeah. oftentimes they're healthy checks, you know. Um, 
they have commas and everything in them. Oh, yeah. You know? And, yeah. um, you know, but what people don't realize is that transaction, you know, there could have been 10 deals preceding it that got all the way up to contract, heavily negotiated, didn't work out. Not to mention all the owners you had to meet with and all the work you had to do. Um, yeah, no, there's definitely, I mean, yeah, I've heard that. Oh, it's just so easy. You know, deals just fall in your lap and you just, you, you don't, I'm like, no, you don't even understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some, there's been deals that, uh, started five years prior and and uh just many issues environmental issues or just uh, issues other issues with the property but yeah, i mean to go back to the beginning when i got in the business one thing kind of i can't remember exactly what you said but just kind of suck it up and and embrace the, the embrace the suck embrace the suck yeah i mean <laughs> and i you probably remember you know when uh i was in great shape when i started i was I was running, training. I wanted to train, do marathon, and and uh, being I had nothing else to do and no money, so I just was running, running. I felt like Forrest Gump, and I, <laughs> I just keep running. But no, I mean one thing that when, as I'm running miles on end, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty miles at all hours of the day, in the morning, at night. I remember just telling myself, "Don't be a little bitch if it hurts." If, if it doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right. And so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, it, if it's easy, then... Everybody would do it, and I totally understand. And, you know, if you're trying to avoid the pain in your entrepreneurial journey, you know, or your business journey, you're probably not going to get where you want to go. No. You know, if you spend all your time maneuvering around the pain points, you're probably just never going to... You're most better off just, like, jumping right into the worst of it. I like, just personally, I like to look at my day and say, what are, like, the the one to three most difficult things I need to do today. And if I, ha- if I can control it, I always do those first. Oh, yeah. Jump right into them. Otherwise, they linger out on the back of your daily calendar. And you know what might happen? They just get bumped onto the next day. Oh, that's exactly what you, so you start easy with the, to do. start with the easy ones, and you're just like, okay, I'll get those. Let me go to the next little set of... Mm-hmm. No, you start with the, the difficult ones and get those, and the rest is... When you get those done, then the rest is kind of downhill. And, but. So when you... um. You know, I already know this about you, but you can share a little bit with the audience. I feel like you were an early embracer of technology in the commercial real estate world. So technology has obviously been around for a long time, but Eric's done a phenomenal job embracing technology and systems early on. Um, is there anything you can speak to about about that part of your work? Yeah. Yeah. So starting off, kind of quickly figured out if nobody knows who you are, it's uh, <laughs> can be tough to be successful. So... Uh, when I went to UNF, I, I got my degree in uh, business with focus on marketing and finance. And so, uh, not that they taught me SEO in, in the marketing program, but I, I knew of it and had a friend who was, uh, he was doing SEO. He's done for Facebook, uh, Box, a lot of big tech firms, Fanatics. And uh, so he kind of, I was like, asked him one day, can you give me a crash course on this? And he did. And he's like, yeah, no, that's... So I just spent very beginning uh, first year just laser focused on SEO, figuring out how to get my name out there and, uh, you know, just meta tagging and, and doing all kinds of optimization of uh, getting my name out there, all kinds of different networks and uh, websites. So what happened was I was doing all that and it was tedious work. It was brutal and, and it, Kind of again, hope you're doing what you're doing is actually going to pay off. Is, are you doing it right? And then just kind of a, started trickling in and 
seeing some noticeable results, people finding me. And I remember the first time I really knew that what I did was starting to pay off. I had a, a, a great client now. Was, they found me. They bought a property in Jacksville, an industrial business park, and they were trying to find somebody here local to, to help them with the leasing up of it. And they're like, man, I, I don't know. Everything we Googled, I mean, you just popped up on everything. And we figured, God, this guy got to be the guy to call. It doesn't matter what we right. search. <laughs> we can search for uh, uh, Popeye's chicken in your house. <laughs> it didn't matter. Yeah, I remember, um, I remember you showed me maybe roughly seven, eight years ago. You opened up a photo, like a JPEG, I believe, and you showed me how to go to like the data behind the photo and... I think it's meta tagging, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, and I, I've never done it since, but thank you for the lesson. Yeah. And you, I, I remember, even if it was like a, a, not a stock image, but a sample image of like one of your buildings, mm -hmm. you would jump in each and every posted photo on all of your listing pages and meta tag, you know, keywords mm -hmm. in like the back end of the photo. Is yeah, that right? Title, subject, uh, meta tags. Uh, description, so and everything on there, I made sure Eric Bumgarner, industrial broker, was kind of embedded in all of that. So, and what did that do? Just so, you know, for those that don't know, what did that do as people started to, as you start putting what became, I'm sure, hundreds and then eventually thousands of like they're not really branded images, but they're meta tagged images. What did that start to do? Well, when somebody would go search, whether it's a uh, a company looking to to leak to rent some warehouse space or a, a perspective, an owner who's looking for an agent to help sell or lease a building. So you, just like anybody you go, you know, if you're a owner, you go looking for space warehouses for lease Jacksonville. And, you know, so when they do that, Google has their algorithm, you know, all the different algorithms on, on that. And the stuff that's meta tagged and, and SEO optimized gets the higher priority. So it gets you to the top of the page. And most people, just like anybody, you probably don't go past the first page or second page tops. And so that just bumped me up to the top where, um, whether it was a company looking to lease warehouse space or an owner looking for a broker, just kind of put me on the top of the list where I like it. You know, Eric was an early adopter of technology and commercial real estate where, uh, for those of you in the audience that don't know this, commercial real estate, it lags residential real estate in a lot of ways when it comes to technology. Like, um, especially if you back up five, 10 years ago, you had people that are, you know, maybe only putting a listing on like LoopNet or CoStar, typing out a couple of things, just expecting a phone call, maybe a phone, maybe an image taken like off of their phone that's grainy or half sideways. You know, then you bring in guys like Eric that are embracing technology. All of a sudden, you've got, you know, I remember Eric flying drones when, like, nobody had drones. I mean, they might have existed, but Eric yeah, was an early adopter. One, yeah, yeah. the first one in Jacksonville. That's, uh... He's out there flying drones, crashing them, <laughs> crashing them on our, some of our local interstates and scraping them off the pavement and putting them back together and flying them again That's and then selling them to me broken. <laughs> but, you know, you know, Eric's from the meta tagging. His listings didn't look like other people's listings. I mean, if you're a commercial agent or or thinking about this space, I mean, Eric's stuff looked way better from the professional aerials, floor plans, his cash flows, which is where you run an Excel model. You know, maybe it's a five-year cash flow with all the different leases. You know, you can go to the back and look at what an internal rate of return is going to be based on certain loan assumptions. So I'm not saying nobody was doing this, but... 
five, 10 years ago, this might've just been happening on the properties that we're gonna trade for five, 10 million big properties that are gonna have a whole team put together a big offering memorandum where Eric was coming in and putting in a lot of attention to detail and a lot of technology in more of like your regional listings. And you know, it, it might be along with your incredible focus and hard work, I think it just, it just like lit you on fire in this local market. And you know, now, I mean, if you just, if you Google like Eric Bumgarner Jacksonville, you know, like it's, you can see all these industrial properties, all of his offerings, lots of closed transactions. And he's certainly become the go-to guy in Northeast Florida industrial. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump a little bit into some of your own, and you know, you facilitated a mountain of investments on behalf of others as their, as their broker, both as you know the listing side and you know with the buyers, so both sell and buy. What, um, what are you working on now, and um, like, what's your primary focus right now? Yeah, so my primary focus is the investment side. That's what I, I love. It, it, it just makes sense to me. I, I see, I feel like I see the numbers in a different way, and it's just. If the numbers work, the numbers work, and you know. So I've got two other guys on my team, and and uh, we all kind of have we work on everything together. But my focus is on the the bigger investment stuff, uh, and then the other guys one does more of the leasing, then and then another does more of the uh, more owner user sales and and different uh, aspects of that. So, but all in all, we we kind of just help each other, and uh, but my focus is on the the big investment deals and just making sense of the numbers and and uh, running, you know, you could take a property and, and I'll see a, a vacant property, like know the price and know what can be done with it and start plugging in, you know, numbers is all kinds of assumptions, which I always, I always start off with conservative assumptions. And that's one thing I think a lot of people make, make mistakes on uh, new investors. They, they get, they go to the top of you know rates and then minimal expenses and like oh yeah this is great and it, it, that's just a recipe for disaster. So I'll, I'll get calls from investors in New York all the time like oh yeah we're we're running a model here wanted to get your feedback and what do you think the rates are we're we're, we're saying you know they're this I'm like no you need to plug that number out I mean maybe it might be achievable but start start with the basement and you know it's it's all up from there. So if mm -hmm. you can make it work, make the numbers work with low rents and high expenses. And guess what? You're, you're golden. But if it's marginal, I mean, you know, if it's, it's like, all right, well, it's close enough. Let me start playing with it then. But that's kind of the, the initial sniff test. If yeah. It's um, so for those that don't know the term investment sales, you know, that's when Eric would go out and put, let's say an industrial property up for sale that likely already has a tenant in place income and expense is already historical and you can analyze it and, and plug in what debt you're going to use and decide a rate of return uh, versus like an owner user property. You know, maybe you have a plumbing company, electrician, uh, logistics company, there's no shortage of companies and maybe they just need to buy a warehouse maybe with some surface storage and they're just going to use it for their own business. So Eric's saying what he's trending towards is investment sales where you need to look at these deals like the investor, you know, I have cash. If I go into this building, what do I get back on my cash? What's my return of investment, my return on investment? Um, what I think is kind of funny is, you know, I had, you know, roughly five years of commercial real estate appraisal and a lot of people like to argue about cap rates. Well, 
I pulled these comps and here's the cap rate. These, you know, these are trading at a really low cap rate. I personally always like um, nearly exiting the cap rate argument because the argument over cap rates is usually still pretty tight. Someone's not arguing it's a 10 cap when it's a five cap or something like that. You might be arguing within maybe a hundred basis points. Whereas guys like myself and Eric, we know the real magic is in the actual cash flows. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, okay, you don't want to argue about, you know, say I want to remove myself from a cap rate discussion. Well, you can get pretty much anywhere you need to get by working your income and expense assumptions mm -hmm. within reason, especially when your cap rate's not going to fluctuate a whole lot. So I learned in my appraisal days, instead of just getting red in the face and arguing about cap rates all day, let's focus on every line item in my P&L, in my income yeah. and expense, because it's less debatable. We can pull comps on all of it, and mm -hmm. the property has already been performing if it's already, you know, yeah. if it has historicals. And um, we got a lot more deals accomplished, and we got a lot more appraisals approved by really digging into the income expense than getting over some cap rate discussion. Yeah. Um, so let's say, you know, somebody in the audience is interested in reaching out to you. They're you know, like, okay, I want to get into this industrial space. I hear a lot, you know, from Amazon and e-commerce and all this stuff. I think most of the audience knows industrial has been a really strong performing sector within commercial real estate. But can you just, you know, speak in kind of broad strokes about the industry, kind of what you've seen over the past better part of 10 years, just a little bit about the segment of commercial industrial real estate. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I get calls all the time from guys wanting to get in that asset class. And I'll tell you, if you want to get in and out, you're late to the game. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, you're not late to it. You're just, you're just going to have to work harder than the rest of the people. I mean, there's just so much capital flooding in, into this market and all markets that I know of. And, um, it's it, a lot of what I do is not even on the market, a lot of creative value add deals. Like for example, we've got a, uh, uh, one of my team members was calling on some owners and, and there was a, he had a warehouse, which he didn't end up wanting to sell, but he had this other 20 acres of really good industrial land that was, it wasn't improved, but it wasn't. It, it was some, somewhat improved, but not not a whole lot. It did have a twenty thousand foot warehouse on it. The main value of because of its location would be for a truck storage or some type of industrial storage lot. And uh, so I just ran some numbers with assumptions. I'm like, all right, well, we knew what price he would sell it for. Uh, I knew what kind of rental rates we could get, and I knew roughly, you know, range of construction costs what it would take to get it you know, with the, the rock permits, tree removal. Um, so I, I ran, ran some assumptions on that and it's like, Oh, this works beautifully. And I, I, then I doubled my capital improvement cost from a million bucks to 2 million bucks. And it still worked amazingly, you know, running a, a five, 10 year cash model with the IRR. I sent it over to one of our preferred clients and it's like, Hey, look at this. What do you think? And they're like, Oh yeah, this is, I mean, they took them, two minutes to, I had it all laid out, did the work. They're like, yep, yep. They own other properties in the, the area. They're out of state investors, but they know the market. And it was, you know, so it, it, getting in the, in the industrial right now, you have to be more creative and really know the fundamentals of it. You can't just, uh, like I talked to a guy yesterday who was asking me about the, the rates for storage lots per per acre per lease and he's like is it is it true there's six thousand dollars an acre a month i'm like i don't know where you heard that from <laughs> <laughs> but 
but no, no, not at all, not even close. So, you know, they're like, yeah, we thought that was kind of high. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if you're wanting to get into it, it, it do your homework and, and um, just don't expect there's, you call somebody, they're just going to have this magical deal waiting for you. You have to get down in the trenches with the rest of us. And, and I like what you said about just the sample deal. And it sounds like that's pretty recent, right? Yeah, that's yeah. in contract right now. Oh, it's great. Set, so it's very set to close in right. January. An instant deal. Okay. Um, so just to recap, what Eric's saying is, you know, here's an offering that might have appeared to be marginal or tight, um, but Eric sees excess land. He runs numbers on building, I assume, more warehouse yeah, it's a or 20, stabilizing the ground. Yeah, it's, most of the value is in stabilizing the ground. And, and somebody without, you know, a keen set of eyes might have missed the excess land component. Um, where, and you know, let's be honest, five years ago, the excess land might not have had a ton of contributory value. It would have had some, but not like today. Mm -hmm. And so by, you know, to Eric's point, he models it up. He spends probably an extra half day in the file, doing the cash flows, running the models and sending it out to an investor. And then boom, there you have it. It's just an example of the benefit of working with somebody like yourself in the market, deep market knowledge. You know, you know the values from the warehouses to the land, the cost to stabilize the land fencing it, whether it should be storage, whether it should be an actual building. Um, are you near the interstates? Are you near the port? What vendors or owners would want to be here? So, you know, there's just so many things that you can bring to somebody that it just takes years to get there. And you've mm -hmm. learned it. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I, you've learned it through, what'd you say? 600 transactions. People want to know, how can I learn this industry? The, the man did 600 industrial transactions. I and mean, that's how you learn the industry. And it's just, um, a benefit to working with, especially a buyer's agent. Um, Eric can speak to this, but almost every time the buyer's fee is going to be paid by the, it's a rare circumstance that the buyer's fee is not paid by the seller. So you might as well benefit from somebody like Eric to get your deal done right. Mm -hmm. Even if he's just double checking your numbers, even if you think you, you know everything that's going on. Um, now on this show, most people that appear, you know, you're an expert in industrial real estate. Um, I believe, and you can tell us, you've gotten into some of your own investments outside of your primary residence. And um, if you could speak to the first deal you did, and I, I, think you, I think Eric did something that I'm a big fan of, which is trading services for equity. But I'm going to let Eric speak to that on, on maybe one of his early deals. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of that first client, that big client I mentioned where it paid off with the SEO, they found me where there's told me, you're like, oh my gosh, everything we searched, we found you. So I helped from that point, they, they, they had reached out to me, a group in Colorado family, awesome guys, they're friends of mine now. Um, they originally contacted me to help them with the leasing and they quickly realized how much I, how much I got it on the big scale, more than the leasing and the investment sales. So, uh, they're like, yeah, let's, let's find more of these. And, and so from that point, we just started because I leased up the property that it was when they bought it in 2014. I think it was about 50% vacant. Bought it at a 10 cap. And it was a 10 cap with a 50% yeah. vacancy? Yeah, nice. it had a 25, per, 25 <laughs> bucks a foot. <laughs> Woo. Oh my gosh. Glory days. Oh my gosh, I know. Below, way below market rent. It was beautiful. I mean, it was, uh, um, which I leased that up in six months. So they were like, all right, well, we need something else for to do. And so we hunted for properties and I helped them buy five or six more um, over a span of a few years, which they're not really buying right now. But on a couple of them, two of them, in the beginning, I, I 
put in uh, uh, commission for some ownership and management of it, and they love it. They're like, yeah, you know, you have skin in the game. We, you know, we know our interests are aligned, and it was. Uh, I still wasn't at that point. I was still in the beginning. It wasn't making great money, but I knew it was it'd pay off in the long run. And to sacrifice the commission for, you know, the the smaller interest of ownership. Mm -hmm. I saw a quote, and I think we're going to throw it up on the uh, Yield Coach Instagram soon, but it was, um, you can get rich selling real estate, but you get wealthy owning real estate. Mm -hmm. And to Eric's point, you know, taking those commissions is wonderful, and I, and I am not going to fault anybody for taking a fee, um, but trading that fee and leveraging it into ownership, now you get to ride the appreciation of the investment. It has, you know, God, if you've been doing that over the past 10 years, now you have an exponent on that commission that you had. And if you bought a cash flowing property, now you've had residual cash flow. Um, I was doing, I was trading fees and deals as well, just an anecdote. Um, I traded a brokerage fee on a downtown building. I'm gonna, use, I'm gonna round some numbers here. Relatively small, transaction. I think it was $200,000, but it was a pretty big building. It was five stories. It was in downtown Jacksonville, but it was totally vacant. I had to say it was roached out <laughs> and uh, boarded up, but it had a lot of potential. I didn't have 200 on hand at the time to just buy the building. I brought on a partner that owns um, hotels in the area. He stroked the check. And what I did is instead of taking what would have been three, it would have been a $6,000 commission. Instead, I was able to negotiate 8% ownership. So I didn't get the six grand. It was actually kind of a difficult, kind of a difficult deal, but no commission, but I got to keep 8% of the deal. Well, fast forward, um, you know, we boarded it up. We ran out vagrants, but we didn't really do a whole lot other than a quiet title action, which I think that cost 3,500 for that particular one. We, we sold it, I want to say two and a half years later uh, for $675,000. And I had in our agreement that I was going to be able to broker it on the way out. So nice. then, yeah. so now I got the 3% on mm -hmm. 675000 dollars plus 8% yeah. of the upside. So all I'm saying is, you know, I trade a six thousand dollar fee for a combined probably sixty thousand um, dollars. Did it take some patience? Was there some time? Yeah, but I got to work with a professional. We got to do the quiet title. Um, you learn a lot from working with these high-end clients. I think one thing that commercial brokers get that allows them to become like investor developers faster is just what we're talking about. By facilitating these commercial transactions and doing a good job, you're right there looking over the shoulder of the principals. And if you have if you have an eager mind, you can learn so much. I know oh Eric gosh, has. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's amazing how much I've learned from the, my clients uh, my, uh, that have done very well from so you know I take bits and pieces from every one of them and they all bring different uh, you know years of experience and skill and I, I love it I'm just a sponge and you know I take care of them and they're they're happy to share that and you know cheer me on to mm -hmm. whatever whatever kind of knowledge they can share so uh, yeah that definitely is one of the things to our advantage just getting that I would, not only yeah. is it, it's not even, it's free. We're getting paid to get this, this kind of intimate knowledge. And I would go so far as to say, for those that are watching that, you know, aren't sure how to get into commercial, I would go so far as to say it may be worth, let's say you're a residential agent, just hypothetical, because there's a lot of residential agents. And you're like, how do I like crack into commercial? 
I would say, you know what, forget about your fee, honestly. Don't be calling owners and brokers trying to get big referrals and you know what you want to learn? Scrub right in, go shoulder to shoulder. Don't worry about a fee for the first you know, handful of deals because the learning is what matters. Um, you got to learn before you earn. Exactly. And, you know, and Eric's right. You got to learn before you earn. And, you know, Kiyosaki talks about if you're going to, if you're going to work a job, work a job that's going to teach you something, not just give you a check. And by sacrificing commission to learn something that could benefit you for 50 years afterwards, it's a no brainer. Um, so when you're trying to learn something, don't be so caught up. I know people are like, oh, I don't want to, you know, that developer's greedy or that commercial broker won't, won't give me a meaningful referral fee. Don't get into that little pissing match. You know, no, take, take the learn out that, of it. I think so many people are just uh, kind of selfish and, or, you know, just can't get past that. And that's uh, kind of what I, I've realized separates the, you know, just the, the sacrifice is, is a huge, you know, sacrificing a, a fee, sacrificing time. You know, I've made so many sacrifices over the years and, yeah, just don't get to these different levels by not sacrificing. Mm -hmm. And like, I think what you're also getting at too is like by, by sacrificing, you are not putting yourself forward. You're putting somebody else forward, knowing that the, the, the sea is going to rise all the boats and you're one of those boats, but you're going to let that sea rise and you're going to rise and you're going to learn from the process. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I did, I did so much work in my twenties that you know, I had no idea what I was going to do with it, but I was doing a lot of appraisal work and valuation work. And, you know, in appraisal, the fee is set by the bank. If you're doing bank work, I did a lot of things that were above and beyond, but I just knew I wanted to round myself out as a professional. So, you know, if I didn't feel great about my four comps and I, I wanted two more, but the bank was probably okay with the four that I had, you know, in my in that day and age, I would make the extra calls. I would try and find something, even if it's not another perfect comp. I just wouldn't stop until I felt really good about what I was rendering. And um, if I didn't understand my cash flow model, I'd go to my mentor, Eric Hector, and he would work through the model with me. It would have been really easy to just send over my work product to my supervisor, let him review it, clean it up, get it ready for the bank. It, it wouldn't have been a problem. The value was fine. But I wouldn't have been learning. You know what I mean? So I think we're seeing a trend here with those that really rise to the top. Lifelong learners, they, they routinely don't put themselves first, and they're willing to trade time for experience. You know, it's a long yeah. game. Yeah, and put what you just mentioned, uh, putting others first, That I was going to mention that earlier. One of the principles I learned in the Air Force, one of their other sayings, you know, it's service before self. So mm, I like that. It's, uh, your country before yourself in the military and in this in this world it's your your clients needs before your own which a lot of people don't do they they put their needs first and you, you're not going to go anywhere you put your personal needs before your clients that's mm -hmm. it's a recipe for disaster service before self i like that that's yeah. a great takeaway we we might we might need to bundle that up and, and throw that <laughs> online i like that um fast forwarding a little bit today um you know, you're, you're really deep. I mean, I won't say you're like at a crescendo because I think you're just going to be like a constant crescendo. <laughs> Every time I see you, there'll be like some, some new high point. But, you know, where you are today, what are some of the, from the, I won't call it a plateau, but from the elevation you're on now, what are some of the things as you look out that like you want to do? Some of your goals, kind of personal and professional, you know, uh, from where you've made yourself today? Yeah. Um, yeah, from a, I guess, professional and personal really just get to a point of 
having sustainable passive cash flow and kind of merging out of I'll, I'll never stop brokering I, I love it it's uh i'll always have uh, key clients but kind of and, it, and this isn't it uh, one year plan more of a 10-year plan where kind of exit out of the brokerage and, and just have built a, a portfolio that and that's kind of mm-hmm. the, the next next goal so that's a good one yeah you know and, and i know i mentioned this earlier but you know for people that are wondering, how could I ever become skilled at selling like a fully leased 12 tenant industrial warehouse? Well, one way is not easy, but you got one way would be brokerage. If you get good at selling investment real estate, I sold hotels, apartments, um, some land deals, you know, a little bit of everything, but you're going to get good at it by doing it. You know, it's going to be hard to just take a course watch a video, don't get me wrong, courses and videos are great resources, but those are great to supplement you while you're actually doing. You know, how does Eric learn about a property? Well, guess what, somebody called him with, you know, some property has probably three industrial bays, some little self-storage over here, maybe some land for lease, maybe a little drive-through ice machine. You know, it's got a little bit of everything on it and you've got to figure out, is this the highest and best use? I need to run cash flows and all this stuff. You learn by doing it, by running those models. Well, one thing that helps is actually doing the leasing aspect of it. There's a lot of uh, a lot of brokers that only want to do the investment side, and but they've never done any leasing, so they don't really truly understand the leasing fundamentals. Where I've I've done leases of every you know shape and size, and and know. With, with the highest confidence, whatever assumptions I'm making on leasing and, you know, what the vacancy is, what the rates are, where it's going, what the downside, the upside, you know, what what kind of tenants are going to give the biggest return and what kind of issues you can expect or with certain tenants. So that that's one thing that, that's helped me greatly is when I started in the business, I would take whatever crap listing I could get, you know, for a lease and just work my tail off get it leased mm-hmm. up and what what then started to happen started to evolve was those those clients would let me help them sell it as investment and so I added that value for them and you know I knew that property in the tenant mix intimately better than anybody and uh, so I couldn't agree more with your with your point about knowing your leasing and and you also I know you didn't mention it much because it's it's not the sexy side of commercial real estate, but I mean, you're also a very strong property manager if you need to be. I know mm-hmm. you've gone towards investment sales, but the fact that Eric has been doing leasing, management, and investment sales, and like he said, how do you break into the industry? Well, your first opportunity is probably going to be putting a property up for lease that you'd probably rather not, mm-hmm. and you and just doing the work. Maybe it's a thousand square feet, and people are going to be calling you trying to you know, do a month-to-month lease or something, oh, yeah. and uh, you're like, how do I make any money? But by by Eric working all the way up from there to where he is now, he knows every every facet of the industry. So I, I really think you're at a point where within your concentration of industrial real estate, you're I mean you're fairly bulletproof. And you know no one's going to you know say you work on behalf of a buyer. So flip over now you're repping a buyer. You go into investment. You look at the leases within this investment transaction. No one's going to fool you. You know you're not going to miss some like move out clause where like your main tenant can pay, you know, a few months liquidated damages mm-hmm. fee in, in bulk, you know, oh, a exactly. breakup clause or something. And, and these are just critical because when I hear about people, especially in the past 10 years when the economy has been strong and growing, really the people, not all of them, but almost universally the deals that I hear that, re- that burn people, they miss something glaring like that. 
You know what mm -hmm. I mean? We've had rising rents, lowering interest rates, and lowering cap rates you know, for like 10 years. So like the, the people that I see making errors, they're missing things that like Eric or a professional like him would be able to find on your behalf. Yeah, we just, we, we've got a fairly new client. We met him after he had a deal and contract and, and uh, we weren't part of the helping him buy it, but we've helped him buy other stuff since and helping him with the leasing on the property he did buy. But we weren't privy to the leases that were in place on this deal. And they said, we offered to look at them for him and uh, just give any feedback. And they're like, oh, no, it's all good. We've, we had a, our guy, he reviewed everything. We get the, they close on the deal and we start working on the leases. And we're like, we need to see what lease sent them over. It was a disaster. It was horrible. I can't remember the exact. <laughs> I was like, what in the world did you guys, did you read this? You, I mean, it was, I forget what it was exactly, but it was bad. I mean, this was, we're, we're still dealing with it. And, and there's some of it we're able to work through and, and get straightened up for them. But uh, there's one or two they're just stuck with for, for a little while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're not getting rid of that. So you've, you know, you've told us how you've traded some fees for equity. It's been a good move for you. Obviously, if, if there's brokers or agents listening, you don't really want to do the trade fee for equity with just anybody. These want to be like your, your better clients, people that you trust. Because again, now you're going into a partnership, more like a marriage instead of a quick pop of a brokerage fee. Oh, yeah. Um, so that would be my one cautionary tale is don't do this with just any client. Yeah, but I've, if had, you, yeah I've had people yeah. ask me, like, hey, I appreciate it now. I'm right. working on my own stuff right now. Yeah, no, there's only a handful of people. There are deals that you're better off just taking your commission and leaving. And maybe even if the deal is great, juicy, has great margins, you just, you know, if I go into better partnership with this particular group, uh, I'm never getting, I'm never getting out alive. I'll never see the money that I think I'm going to make anyways. So um, you want to be very selective in your partnerships. That's a topic for a whole nother podcast. Um, what deal so far, and, and there might be a handful, taught you... A, a, your greatest lesson to date, and again, it could be one of a few, um, and, and what was it? In what capacity? Of... Well, like if you got into a deal where when by the time you got out of it, or maybe it fell apart, you had an epiphany that kind of changed the way you think or approach the industry forever forward. Um, you know, I know, I'll just speak for myself, you know, when I was, when I was initially getting into commercial brokerage, um, this sounds so naive now, but I really, if somebody emailed me or shook my hand, um, you know, I put, I put too much weight on probably informal communication because I'm naturally trusting. Um, I just, I just do what I say and that's just how I was raised and that's just how I operate. But mm -hmm. I got, um, for lack of a better term, I got cut out or minimalized on some deals early, early on that I, oh, I wow. could have avoided just through better documentation and, and papering up, so to oh, speak. Yeah. So that's one of my big takeaways was there were some deals that, and the worst thing is, is when you don't have any money and you just, and, you, and there here you are giving away. <laughs> yeah, you're accidentally giving away, you know, all of this income. And, and the truth is, I hate to say it, the industry sees you as green, they're taking advantage of you at that point for a reason. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like tattoo yeah, oh, yeah. on your you're, forehead. You're, so. Yeah, you've got a neon flashing sign. Yeah. Sucker. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, that made me grow up pretty quickly. So that was just an example on mine. Yeah, no. And then, yeah, I mean, to, to that extent, I mean, yeah, the industry, they're shrewd. It's hardcore. People will look for opportunities to 
screw other people over. And, you know, as you get more season, you're able to sniff those out and just avoid them altogether. But mm -hmm. sometimes you can't avoid them uh, completely. But, yeah, yeah, getting everything in writing. It's, uh, but there's, there's certain clients, you know, I don't, there's, I would never worry about it, but we still have to get in writing and certain things you want to put in writing and certain things you don't want to put in writing. It's like, you know, it's like, all right, well, do I want this? I'll call this person. And not that it's wrong or dishonest, but just, just being very careful on, on how you communicate is, is a, a key aspect. Just, I think picking who, you know, obviously when you start off, you just want get whatever business and you know when I started up, I had a lot of clients that I would never work for again and it's uh that's just part of the sacrifice though is and it's those dishonest people just trying to avoid them and yeah so one thing that I learned over the years too is takes the same amount of time actually it probably takes less time focusing on bigger deals than it does the smaller deals and uh, you know I, I talk to my guys all the time and you know we we don't have the time for that it's it's you know um but that that comes with time you know you're not gonna you can't immediately go into that unless you're sitting on a huge savings mm -hmm. or, or trust fund and i totally understand and i think what eric's saying should resonate with which and you it, did well though i mean you, yeah your first big deal i mean that you spent an entire year on that you were so laser focused on selling that hotel. Yeah, so my first year of brokerage, um, I would not actually recommend people do this, but I went straight into what what Eric was calling inve investment sales is the term. So I'm selling an investment deal and in my, in my concentration before brokerage was in hotel appraisal. So I understand hotels, cash flows, franchises, and I know the parties. I know who lends on them. I know who buys them. I know who owes them. So I go into that in Northeast Florida and I had a handful of hotel listings, whether they're kind of pocket listings or full-blown signed committed listings. But the challenge is in between, I had just no cash flow. It's just like a melting ice cube and it was like melting with a hairdryer on it. You know, it was going really fast and I was coming right out of law school and um, you know, you come out of law school with six figure student loans that are on, you know, income based repayment, but still, Everything's just just chipping away at that modest little nest egg you thought you had, and um, ultimately I did sell a five million dollar hotel that had like a gross commission over two hundred thousand, and that was like that was it. That kind of like that kind of set me on a path. But mm -hmm. you know, to those that are listening, what I should have done is more like what Eric was doing. He's doing some leasing. He's doing a little bit of property management. He's still got some investment sales. <clears throat> he was diversified within brokerage where I'm like, you know, like Don Quixote charging these windmills or, you know, I'm out in the Serengeti hunting elephants when I probably should have snagged a few rabbits here hey, and there. I but, mean, as long as you're yeah. laser focused and you had the means to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, they're, they're... I, I think in a perfect world, you just, it might be a 50 hour, 60 hour plus work week instead of a 40 hour. But if you can find a way to have some keep the lights on cash flow it'll allow you to it'll allow you to pursue the bigger deals because you won't die on the vine so fast your your rate of attrition gets stretched out yeah. a little bit um, but there's different philosophies some people say you know burn the ships on the beach there's no going back 
you know, by, I'm either selling this hotel or I'm going bankrupt, you know, yeah. by God, so who's with me? Um, so it's just, you got to know yourself. You got to know your personality. Um, are you someone who's self-reliant? What's your spouse going to think of it? Like the whole, do you have kids? You know, what are your contingency plans here? Um, so for me, it worked out, but I, I will say in hindsight, you know, it was a little on the reckless side, but hey, here we are. Um, does take a little bit of good fortune. Um, all right, so moving just a little bit into the, you know, kind of start wrapping up here. Um, your greatest, if you have like an influence or an influencer or like maybe maybe there's some books or an individual, what's kind of had a big, uh, a big imprint on you? Was there anything that you took in that you were like, wow, that, that's kind of changed the way I think about stuff? No, man. I don't know if this changed the way I think about, thought about stuff, but I will say when I started off and hopefully it doesn't offend anybody. If it does, well, what if? I, when I had not, no money, nothing to do, you know, I read, I think, probably every Donald Trump book there was, and Art mm -hmm. of the Deal and all the real estate. I was just fascinated by, you know, these uh, creative transactions he would do, all the different moving pieces. And I think that that did have a huge impact just seeing you know whether I've done anything remotely similar to what he's done on on those all those different deals but it just shows you it showed me how creative you can get with these things and you know it's there's the best deals are the ones that aren't neon on the you know neon lights flashing writing on the wall it's sifting through all the crap and mm -hmm. so um like I said I've I read almost every single book in the little tiny 600 square foot apartment I was living in. <laughs> You're a reading studio. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then the clients along the way, I've, I've learned to gravitate and, and absorb every certain clients that are just the wealth of information and take care of me. I take care of them. And I'm glad you said clients, um, because if you do work in, if let's say you service investors, you know, you like, you know, I've done real estate law, you know, the title and escrow and brokerage and appraisal. If you're lucky enough to service an industry that's already an investment and you have a chance to learn from your clients, I mean, it's like a free internship. And the brokerage, honestly, is probably the best because you're really like shoulder to shoulder or looking right over their shoulder. You know, they make the decision, but you're laying everything out. And then they're telling you after you lay things out what else they need to know. So you start to think, well, why'd they ask that question? I remember early on, somebody was like, I want C-class concrete block, multifamily, Northeast Florida, and we'll pay up to 20,000 a door. And I, and I remember, I mean, I'd already been an appraiser. So I was like, what a silly, basic, rudimentary approach. I'm like, that's not sophisticated at all. You want concrete block anywhere in this metro up to 20K a door. I'm like, really? Like, that's your... And then by working with them, I was like, oh, well, there's not a lot of property in Jacksonville. This is going back a few years. Even in rough neighborhoods, there weren't a lot of properties residentially renting for under 500 bucks a month. Now it's higher, but back then, 500 was kind of a floor. Even for a really rough property, it tended mm -hmm. to get about 500 bucks. So I started to realize, well, if they're willing to pay 20 a door, it rents for 500 a month. What they're really telling me with some variation is they're looking for a deal that's between about a 10 and 15% cap rate, possibly more, but they're not telling me they want a 10 to 50% cap rate. I'm just looking at 20 a door, running it out against the rent, market expenses, let's mm -hmm. say it drops 50% NOI. And I'm like, oh, 
And I actually, it's takeaways like that, that were so simple that I came from a complex background of running, you know, or working within commercial real estate appraisal. Then I get in and I watch the behaviors and habits of those that are having wild financial success in investment. They're not necessarily thinking like an appraiser. They're narrowing down what's on their mind to just like a handful of critical components. Mm. And that, that helped me out so much because I still had the technical background, but I was able to think like, well, why would somebody do that? Like in the hotel world, I learned um, some buyers will just they'll look at the hotel. Let's say it's a hundred units, and let's say that each let's say the hotel runs like a twenty-three dollar Revpar. Revpar is ADR times occupancy. You get Revpar. Well, I met an investor. They're like, oh well, we just never pay over a thousand times Revpar per unit. I know that sounds a little complex, but if you write it out or put it in a spreadsheet, it's very simple. So if a property does, let's say, $23 Revpar times 1,000, you can pay 23,000 per door. They call it a key in hotels, times however many there are in the property. And I'm like, well, that's pretty simple. But if you run out that, let's say you run the Revpar in a formal model, you realize once again, it's probably going to place you in certainly a double-digit cash-on-cash mm -hmm. unleveraged. Yeah. And so, but by by being able to filter and sort a ton of properties quickly, like is anybody willing to sell, you know, a thousand times rev power per unit or 20 a door concrete block anywhere in Northeast Florida, you're just quickly filling your funnel instead of wasting your time running in-depth cash flows on mm. everything you find. Yeah. But I would have never learned that just doing appraisal. Yeah. Doing appraisal, I got to run formal models on every assignment. It's part of the deal. By working as a broker or with principal investors, you pick up, they're almost like hacks. They're like tips and tricks and hacks. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know? No, some of the largest client I have done the most amount of transactions, large transactions with an out-of-state investor. Yeah, I mean, he has very, very rudimentary, basic core principles. And, it, you know, it, on the surface, it's, you know, it's like, oh, wow, that's pretty simple. But there's, you know, a, a lot more behind it of what it, it actually equates to. And, mm -hmm. you know, so... Um, when you pull in the you know the the rents and the cash on cash or your leverage IRR, yeah, I mean that was that's one thing that I've definitely learned and and once I figured that out, and he's probably one of the clients that took me to the next level on the investment stuff. It's like I just you you know you see the numbers and it, putting them all together and mm -hmm. doing a lot of off market stuff with him just because you know the. The t tenants, the rates, and uh, value value deals, and yeah, it's uh... what it can be is essentially. You know, I started with the question being like, "Who are your influences?" But you answered with some of your clients, and I I love that answer because what you can get in this industry is almost like a a, a mentorship. Mm -hmm. You know, and these mentorships go online, Google, you know, industrial real estate mentorship or industrial real estate investment boot camp. These are not free courses, no. and they're not necessarily taught by people that you that you want to learn from or have credibility. So, one great thing that Eric said is, you know, you, you essentially got free mentorship, really paid not free, mentorship. Paid, <laughs> you know, uh, blood, sweat, and tears in the beginning, and then and then it starts to bear fruit, and now you're doing your own investment deals. Um, Eric's already told us he looks to be, you know, financially free in the upcoming years with passive income, always brokering. I love it. Um, Let's jump into just a couple of hobbies and interests. People know, you know, a little bit of what you're up to in your personal life, um, and uh, and I'm going to go ahead and, and, and wrap it on sure. down. Yeah, uh, 
pretty much my personal life hobbies consist of uh, my my ranch. <laughs> Got a, my little, nice little personal ranch here in Jacksonville, right in the middle of town. Been fortunate enough to pick up uh, 13 acres. I've got goats and chickens and ducks. Getting a couple of cows, beautiful uh, barn pasture. You know, so that's kind of pretty much my way of unwinding. I'll I'll deal with a gruesome day of brokerage, mind numbing. Get home, put on the the, the farm gear, go drive the tractor, and uh, play with the farm animals, whatever it is, ATVs. Then uh, also, uh, recently, right now, it, my hobbies have been Christmas lights. <laughs> Spectacular. Got quite a bit of uh, real estate to fill with lights, and uh, it, it's fun. And it brings me some simple joys. I've had the benefit of visiting Eric's uh, ranch, and it's right in the heart of Jacksonville, but he has this, this beautiful ranch, and uh, he runs his gator, and he has his goats, and it, it really is cool. So, you know, I'm happy for you. You've got a Thank great you. thing going for you and your family. Um, it's a fart. A little bit different in Glenwood. It is a little different. You've come a long way since the, the yeah. 500 square foot uh, yeah. studio apartment. Um, uh, as we wrap up, where can people find you? Um, website, social, Google whatever you me. want to share. Google me. <laughs> Eric Bumgarner. Google Eric Bumgarner and you will find him. Yeah. In, in yeah. <laughs> on Collier's website, LinkedIn, um, uh, CoStar. Crexy, LoopNet, Showcase, I don't know, there's more, web, I'm on more websites than I really even know about. But I think you're going to I don't a, do Facebook anymore, though. I think I, you're I, our I only guest. Account. I, the, okay. I, yeah, I don't. I think you're our only guest that's going to answer that way, because he is a man you can just straight Google and you will find him. He's early adopter of technology, as we said. All right, well, with that, we're going to go ahead and call it a show. I'm your host, Ian Brown. You can find us on Instagram, Yield Coach, Facebook, Yield Coach, I mentioned before we're trying the TikTok thing. I don't have it figured out. This show will be on all of your podcast networks as well as our YouTube channel if you want to watch it and see how, how handsome we are. Um, and with that, we'll keep you posted on any upcoming events. And this is Coach Brown telling you to leave it all on the field. Bye.